Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Um, my name is Fred. I'm the lead pastor here, and, and uh, I'm glad to have you with us, whether you are here in person or whether you're watching online or listening later during the week. Uh, we are glad to, to have you with us today. And here's what I hope happens today. Like, there's a lot that happens on a Sunday morning in church, right? Like, like you have conversations, you drop kids off downstairs. There's, there's a lot that happens. You, you come in here and we sing and we teach from God's word. Uh, we pray after, we're going to take communion after. And so there's a lot of opportunities uh, to, to just do the things, right? Here's what I hope happens. I hope we all just kind of pause for a minute and be still. And that we can actually be in the presence of God with God's people in a really unique way. And I pray that as that happens, we hear the Lord speak. And we hear God speak to us. We hear the Holy Spirit speak either through uh, the teaching of his word. We, we hear the Holy Spirit speak through, through the worship, through the music that we sing. We hear the Holy Spirit speak maybe even through one of those conversations that we have today. A conversation in the hallway or a conversation in here. And, and what I hope happens is that when we hear the Holy Spirit speak, that his voice and his words become the most important voice and words that you hear today. So let me pray for us. Jesus we do just take time and we just sit still before you. And we open our hearts and our minds to you. And for you to speak in a way that is uniquely you. And, 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 and maybe uh, for some of us, hearing your voice um, is a brand new thing. And maybe for a whole lot of us, Hearing your voice amongst all the other thoughts in our head is just really difficult. And I pray that you would do what you do, like you did for Moses. You parted the Red Sea and made the way very clear. I pray for us today that you will push those thoughts back. You will push those insecurities back. You will push those fears and doubts back. And you will make the path very clear for us as we hear your voice. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, we will be in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Uh, we're doing all of chapter 11, a little bit of chapter 12 uh, today. And, and just to give you like a little snapshot of, of where we are in Ecclesiastes, we're right towards the end. And we've called this series uh, Foul Ball, right? Because we're talking about in Ecclesiastes what Solomon is doing, uh, what the preacher is doing in Ecclesiastes is he's showing us uh, how to live life to avoid going into foul territory, right? Because we've all been at baseball games or, or, or seen it where you've seen a, a home run, what it looks like. The ball's going up in the air and it looks good. And then it lands in, and it's a foul ball, right? And I think, I think what Solomon is doing, what the preacher is doing is he's looking, he's helping us look at our lives and he's saying, hey, this might look like a home run right now, but trust me, it is going to end up as a foul ball unless you do it the way God has orchestrated for life to work. And he is continually calling us into the words that Jesus used. He's continually calling us into the kingdom of God instead of the kingdom of us. And today we're going to see like in particular what that looks like. But let me paint a situation for you. Have you ever done this? 
Have you ever been out to eat with a group of friends, right, or with family or whatever, and you say to yourself, I'm going to make a healthy choice tonight, right? You look at the menu, and they have the grilled chicken salad, and mm, looks so delicious, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. But you're like, I know, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to eat healthy. And then the first person at the table orders, and you know what they order? They order the fried chicken sandwich with french fries, right? And then the server goes, oh, that's my favorite. Everybody here loves, it's one of the most popular dishes we have. And do you know what you do? By the time it comes around to you, you say, I'll have the fried chicken sandwich, fries, and go ahead and throw a beer with that too, right? Like, like you, just throw, you just throw it all to the wind because you see as the table goes, like everybody's making these choices where a, a grilled salad just really doesn't, a grilled chicken salad doesn't sound good anymore, right? And what that's called, science actually has a, a name for that, and it's called norm matching, right? Norm matching. And what norm matching is, is when we match our behaviors to the behaviors of those around us. And that's called norm matching. And it's why we order bad bad food at a a restaurant that's not healthy for us. Let's say that. Food that's not healthy for us at a restaurant just because everybody else does. It's also why, as parents of of teenagers and, and teenagers, it's also why Uh, parents are concerned about who your friends are because because there's something in us that wants to match our behavior to those around us because here's what's interesting about norm matching. In the Journal of Cognitive Neuroscience, which just to be clear, I do not read the Journal of Cognitive Neuroscience, right? But but somebody referenced this to, 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 uh, as they were writing about this, and so I wanted to go to the original source because I always think that's a good practice to do. And so I, I found it online. It's, it's like a 2015 article. And here's what the Journal of Cognitive Neuroscience pointed out, is that not only is our brain wired to match what's happening around us, it also sees that as a reward. Our brain treats that behavior as a reward. In other words, your brain is wired to tell me, right? My brain is wired to tell me that when I change my order to match what, uh, what the orders are around the table, that's actually a good thing, right? Now, here's what's scary about that, right? Can you piece this together? Like, what's scary is if you're sitting around a table, like for me, with a bunch of 20-year-olds who really don't care about what they eat because their metabolism hasn't come to a grinding halt yet, right? And mine has. All of a sudden, I'm in a situation where I'm making choices based on them instead of based on me. And my brain is wired to tell me that's a good thing. Right, And here's why this gets really dangerous too is because if my brain tells me that that is a reward, here's what happens. Rewards create repeated behaviors. So what that means is that next time I'm at lunch with a bunch of 50-year-olds at the same restaurant, guess what I'm probably going to order? The fried chicken sandwich. Right? Because my brain told me that was a great idea then. It's probably a great idea now. And now I've got all these 50-year-olds saying, oh, that sounds delicious. (laughs) You know? 
You see, if my brain tells me that when I do what you do, it's a good thing, then here's what happens. It means that your voice and your actions can very easily become the most important voice and the most important actions to me. And y'all, this is especially evident when things are out of control. Right? When our life is out of control, we listen to those voices and we watch the actions of other people, I think, in a way that's, that, that's, even, that's even more uh, um, observant, right? That's even more important. Like, like events happen to us that are out of our control. And depending on who's sitting at your table, kind of metaphorically, right, who's there ordering before you, the way they respond when life is out of control is the way we respond when life is out of control, right? If they respond in fear when life is out of control, guess what we're gonna respond in when life is out of control? Fear, right? If they respond in faith when life is out of control, we respond in faith. If they rage, we rage. If they repent, we repent, right? If they fight, we fight. If they befriend, we befriend. If they accept, we accept. If they repel, we repel. We, we, we repel. That's how, that, how, this, how this works. It depends on what is considered normal for those around you to what you consider normal behavior. Well, here's what we're going to see in Ecclesiastes today. Solomon is going to pull a chair up to our table, right? And he's going to paint some scenarios where life is out of control, And he's going to say, hey, when life is out of control, who do you have sitting at your table to show you what to do? Right? Are they voices that are going to to speak the truth to you or are they voices that are not? Because Ecclesiastes, our preacher, is going to be our teacher and he's going to show us how to actually have joy when life is out of control sitting at that table. And what we're going to do is we're going to see a path to joy. And, and, and what I'm going to do is by application say that it's this, that our path to finding joy when life is out of control is by doing this. It's when we pay attention to what we're paying attention to, right? When we pay attention to what we're paying attention to. Let's look at verse, uh, chapter 11, verses, verse 1. We'll start there. It says, it says, cast your bread upon the waters. For you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even eight. For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. And if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where it falls there, it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow and he who regards the clouds will not reap. And so here is Solomon. Here's the preacher uh, as he's referred to in Ecclesiastes. And he's telling us that we can't control the events around us, right? And he's painting the picture of, of these bad and hard times that happen to us all. And he talks about disaster happening on the earth, right? He's talking about, about rain clouds dumping rain all over the earth to the point where like trees fall over. Sound familiar, Asheville? Like anybody had a tree fall over in your yard just because of rain, right? Right? Talking about weather patterns being unpredictable to the farmer, and these are out of control. Listen, this stuff is not a big shock to us. Every winter, right, a snowstorm's coming. And no matter how experienced the meteorologist is, this is what we get. It's either going to be a dusting or 17 inches, Right? Because weather is unpredictable. It is out of our control. 
right? But keep in mind, to the people reading this, they lived in an agricultural context, which means they were in the business of farming or raising animals or were very closely related to those who were. And so for them, unpredictable weather isn't about canceling school, right, or canceling church or, or whatever. To them, unpredictable weather was, do we eat this year? Do we survive this year? It had these real uh, implications. It would be like the finance person talking about stocks. Like, like they realize stocks are unpredictable by nature, but their livelihood is attached to it. Right? I was a school teacher. It's the school teacher on the first day of school, or actually the first week of school, where you get that student list that you really can't control who's in your class. Right? And you don't know what the year is going to be like. And you know that there's a huge, huge part of it that's out of your control. But your livelihood is attached to it. Right? It's the student who does their very best work on a project. But getting the grade is out of their control. That's not, that's not in their hands. You see, how do we respond is what Solomon is going to sit at our table and show us. How do we respond when the way we find our livelihood is out of our control? Verses 1 through 2 says this. It says, cast your bread upon the waters and give a portion to seven, even eight. And so what Solomon is doing is he's pulling God at the table and he's saying this. He's saying, he's saying in God's kingdom, the way God works, we live generously even when we can't control the source of our income. Right? When the source of our income is out of our control, we live generously. And here's why this is important. In the table in front of you, right, metaphorically, I mean, I realize we do have tables in front of us, but, 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 but metaphorically, in the table in front of you, depending on who's sitting at your table, they will give you all kinds of advice. And they will say, actually, if you can't control the source of your income, you probably need to hoard, right? How many of you live through Y2K, right? Or I should say, how many of you remember it? Right, like, like Y2K, for those of you who, who aren't familiar with it, was this uh, New Year's Eve going from 1999 to the year 2000. Uh, everybody thought the world was going to shut down. Y'all remember that? Because they thought the computers don't know what to do when the date changes from the 1900s to the 2000s. And everything's going to shut down. Power grids are going to shut down. Everything is going to shut down. Um, I heard from people that I trusted and respected, I need to have three months of food stocked up minimum. I was told that people are going to be shooting each other over a loaf of bread. Anybody hear advice like that? We, I mean, okay, we did save up a little bit, but... To be fair, our in-law, Stacey's parents, stocked up enough for a year so we knew we'd be okay. <laughs> right? I went over there once and she had 12 bottles of bubble bath. And I was like, I, I don't know if you know what survival means, but I really like where your head is at on this. Like, like, like if you're going to do it, like, let's, let's enjoy ourselves, right? But do we listen to them, Right? Or do we listen to what God says to do when we can't control the source of our income, right? Do we respond in faith in God as our provider, 
right? Do we, do we still tithe to, let's get, let's get like, like personal, right? Do we tithe to the church when we get our paycheck, like first thing, or do we tithe after we pay the bills? Because one is a response in faith, the other is a response in fear, right? And what Solomon is telling us is, hey, even though you can't control the source of your income, give anyway. Live generously. Let's look at another tough one, another scenario that Solomon's going to bring up at our table. He said, verse 5, as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones uh, in the womb of a woman with a child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. And the NIV, another translation of the Bible, says it this way, as you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in the mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. And so here's what we can't control now that Solomon is going to remind us. We can't actually control, control how God is working in the world around us. Right? We can't control what God is doing. And y'all, this one's tough because here's what it means. It means that we can do all the right things and bad things still happen to us. Right? Our loved ones can do all the right things and bad things still happen to them. And the one that's really hard is somebody can do all the bad things and good things still happen to them. That's the one that stings. But here's what we have to understand is we can't control how God is working in the world. Right? You see, because God is God and we are not. But when God isn't doing what we expect him to do, Solomon wants us to know that it's okay to say, I don't know, but I trust him. Because if you notice, verse 5 starts off and it says, as you do not know. Like, like he's sitting at our table saying, guess what? You don't know what God is going to do in this world. You don't know what God is going to do with you and through you. Right? Tim Keller said, if I knew everything God knows, I would answer a prayer the same way God does. But we don't know everything that God knows. And sometimes the answers to our prayers don't make any sense to us at all. And Solomon says, in those moments, even when we can't know everything God does, we can know that God is God and we are not. And so what do we do when we don't know what God is doing? We do this. We trust the mystery of God's ways, even when we don't know how God is working. And here's, here's why, because you see, depending on who's sitting at your table, right, when you don't know what God is doing, you can hear all kinds of advice, right? Like if God isn't answering your prayers, then it must be your fault. You must be sinning, right? Maybe that's not the case. Maybe, there's, maybe you've confessed the sin in your life, but God is doing something completely different than you're asking, you see, this isn't how God works. We live with a God that is beyond our understanding. But what the whole of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation shows us is that that God is a good God. That is, Psalm 23 says, His mercy and His, His, His kindness follow us every step of the way. His goodness and His love, His Hesed love follow us everywhere we go. 
And so when we don't know what God is doing, it's okay and good for our souls to say, I don't know what God is doing, yet I trust him. Let's look at what else we can't control in verse 6. Verse 6, in the morning sow your seed, and at, evening, uh, and, at, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, whether both alike will be good. And what Solomon is pointing to here, remember this is an agricultural community, and so he's talking about like literally throwing, throwing seed out to the ground and because you don't know which of those seeds are going to be good seeds and which of those seeds aren't. And when we put that in our terms, right, like we can't control what is successful. And what isn't? We can't control what will go viral and what won't. Like I preach up here, I can't control uh, what sermons are going to hit people and what sermons aren't. I can't control what sermons will have impact or what in- impact they will have. Right? You can't control the success of your work. A designer can't control if their clients are going to like the design they put together. They can work really hard at it, but they ultimately can't control that. And so what Solomon advice, when you can't control the excess of your work, when you can't control if if a seed is a good seed or a bad seed, you, you still plant the seeds, right? And so for us, Solomon's saying when life is out of control, we do the hard work even when we can't control the success of the work. We do the hard work even when we can't control the success of the work, right? And, and, and I love hearing stories of overnight success, right? That gives me a glimmer of hope that maybe one day something will stick. But here's the deal. If you dig a little bit into the story of that overnight success, guess what you find? Years of hard work, most likely. Years of hard work. Right? Pickleball? Anybody heard of pickleball? Yeah. Yeah. I was in college a few decades ago. And my fraternity team had an intramural team in pickleball. It has been around for a long time. And yet now everybody's playing. Right? Roblox? Anybody heard of Roblox? A little video game platform? In the year 20, I think it's 2021. Yeah, in the year 2021, it had 200 million users. It like hit the scene. Do you know when Roblox started online? 2006. 15 years later, it was all the rage, right? Being an overnight success takes a lot of work. And here's Solomon's advice. Put in the work. Do the work and leave the success to God. You do the work and leave the success to God. Look at verse 7 and 8. It says, Light is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many and all that comes is vanity. Right? And so, so what we're talking about here is he's talking about death. The days of darkness will come. Right? And here's what we can't control. We can't control death. We can't control when it, when it approaches. There is this, this quote that I found by this Swedish diplomat who is not a believer, but he writes like Gandalf, and so I was intrigued by it. And, and here's what he said. 
He said, he said this, he said, death, he said, do not seek death. Death will find you. But seek a road which makes death a fulfillment. Which, you know, I thought was kind of neat. Do not seek death. Death will find you. That is true. That's what Solomon's saying. But seek a, a path of life where death is a fulfillment. That one left me puzzled. So then I went to Dr. David Jeremiah, and here's what he says. And he is a, 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 a preacher. He's a believer. He says, success is the fulfillment of God's plan for your life. So do not seek death. Seek God's plan for your life. And that is a success. You see, what Solomon is telling us at our tables when things are out of control, we can't control when we die, but we can control how we live. And his advice to us is then find joy today, right? Because, because in verse 7, he says, light is sweet, so enjoy it, right? Days are a gift, so find joy in them. And so his advice to us is to find joy today because we are not promised tomorrow. And y'all, that is scary, isn't it? And for some of us in this room, it's becoming more and more of a reality, isn't it? You look at your life and you've got less life ahead of you than you do behind you and it becomes really real. But for, for many in this room, you've got more life ahead of you than you do behind you, so we think. You don't know when death will, will find you. And so Solomon's advice is then find joy today, right? There's a guy who goes here. He usually says, there he is, Charles over there. And every time I see him, I say, Charles, how are you doing today? And you know what he says? Charles, what do you say every time I say, how are you doing today? Six feet above ground, I'm blessed. <laughs> right? That's how you find joy today. Is you realize you ain't dead yet. Right? So, there, so God has a gift for you in today. But Solomon also gives us a warning. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says this, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your, of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Right? But God... Back up just a little bit, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. And here's what I love about what Solomon is saying. Without that phrase, without that sentence, this would be hedonism. And hedonism is just doing what you want because you want to do it. But Solomon is reminding us, sitting at our table, that hey, even in finding joy today, even in, in, in all of this stuff, remember, you will stand before God and face judgment Right? That this isn't a permission to do what you want, but there will be a day where God judges each and every human for what they did with their life, for what they did in their life. For some, there will be rewards. 
for living in obedience to God through Jesus. And, and your life and your actions will be picked up. And, and God will, I, 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 this is the way I imagine this happening. This is the way I believe this is happening. That God will, will pick up all the works of your life and just blow on them. And anything that wasn't in obedience to him through Jesus will just disappear. And what's left, this is what he's like, oh, great job. Look at this great stuff you did in obedience to me. Right? But for some, there will be a judgment for sin. Right? For those of us in Jesus, there is this, there is this judgment of our works. For those that aren't in Jesus, right? There will be judgment for our sin. But for us, that is secured. God's not judging our sin. Here, Jesus has paid the penalty for that. 2 Corinthians 5.10 in the New Testament says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And so there is this judgment that we stand before God for our sin, and Jesus is there as our advocate saying, Hey, they put their faith in me. Their sin, their penalty for the sin has been paid for. And for some, that will be what we hear Jesus say. For some, you will stand before God for judgment of your sin, and Jesus will say, I don't know him, and he doesn't know me. And that's a whole path you don't want to go down. Instead, you want to hear Jesus say, yeah, he knows me and I know him. And then God will say, great, let's look at his life. Oh, look at this great stuff. Oh, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? And so when, when, when life is out of control, what Solomon is sitting at our table, he is telling us, is that the decisions we make today have eternal implications. The decisions we make today have eternal implications. It's why, it's why paying attention to who or what we're paying attention to is so important. Because our brains are wired to mimic their behaviors. And are the people sitting at your table showing you how to respond in, in fear or how to respond in faith? Are they showing you how to respond in life or how to respond with, with death? Because here's the deal. If you're sitting at your table and there is fear at your table and fear is the fuel for your life, here's what I'm seeing in, in this generation among, among, among the people of America today and the world even today is that when fear is your fuel, then your screens become your Bible. And they become your voice telling you how to respond. And y'all, as your pastor, I want to tell you, stop it. Stop it. Let God's word tell you how to respond. Let the voice of the Holy Spirit show you how to respond when life is out of control. Let the wisdom of the ages found in this book be your guide. You see, Solomon wants the Bible. God's word, enlightened and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be your fuel and to be your source of wisdom. And so, so how do we live when we can't control death, right? Is we don't let death be our motivator. We pursue life. And we realize that the decisions we make do have eternal implications. But now I wanna do is I wanna show you what it means to die. Let's just go dark for a little bit, right? Chapter 12 says this, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, 
before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And so what Solomon is doing is he's saying, hey, listen up, before, before, we, get like, before we get done here, right, that this wisdom that he's talking about isn't for the old only. It is best applied for the young. It is best applied for the student, not the senior, right? It's best taught in the, in the high school, not the senior citizen center. And here's why. Can you imagine a life ahead of someone? And can you imagine what they look like when they're 70 years old if, if they apply the truth that Solomon is teaching us here today? Can you imagine a student who, who, who decides today to not seek death, but to find joy in every day? Can you imagine a student who decides to live in obedience to Jesus? A student who, 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 who lives to do the hard work and leave the success to God? A student who decides to live generously today, even when they can't control the source of their income. A student who decides today to trust God, even when they don't know what God is doing. Can you imagine what that student would grow into as a 70-year-old? They'd probably be a 70-year-old I want sitting at my table, right? And Solomon is saying, listen up. Students, this is for you. But the good news is, we're all younger today than we are going to be tomorrow. And so don't get busy elbowing your student. Listen up, because you're still younger today than you are tomorrow. Verse 2 says this. It says, Before the sun and light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are built and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises at the sound of a bird and all of the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and, and terrors in the way. And the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails. But man is going into his eternal home, and the mourners go about on the streets before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanities. And so what Solomon is doing now is he's letting us know that you know, not only will death come, like he talked about earlier, but shocker, we're all going to die, right? And by knowing that death will come, it can actually change how we live. And what's interesting is, is as I've looked at different commentaries about what in the world Solomon was talking about here, Right? There's different commentaries that see this differently. They see it as maybe a society that collapses. They see it as a city that collapses. They see it as, a, as maybe a dilapidated home or even the, 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 the way a man in particular goes through life and dies. Right? And personally, I think just knowing Song of Solomon with his writing in um, the Song of Solomon, I mean, knowing Solomon, his writing in Song of Solomon, he's very comfortable using allegory to describe the human body and describe what happens with the human body. So I think he's describing a man. And here's what I mean by that, that the keepers of the house tremble as a person gets older, right? The strong men are bent. I think he's talking about our backs just don't 
just aren't as strong as we get older as they were and they start bending over. The grinders cease. Imagine not having dentists and orthodontists in your life. You would have a whole lot less teeth as you get older, wouldn't you? The sound is low because hearing fades. And yet they rise up at the sound of a bird. As we get older, we're light sleepers. Right? Afraid of terrors in the way. As people get older, they get more paranoid. And then he talks about the almond trees blossom. It's springtime, right? It's the time of love and passion. And the grasshopper drags itself because there's so much food that, that the grasshopper is full. It says, and yet desire fails. I think this is where commentators, mostly male, decide this is about a city or a society. Not about the male body as it gets older. Right? Because we get kind of uncomfortable talking about love is in the air and desire fails as we get older. For those of you who get it, yeah. And then he says, dust returns to the earth. Death comes and it decays. You see, his point is whether this is about a society or a city or a man, is that the result is the same. Everything dies. We all die. And that's why this is so important. Do we have God at our table? Because why would we listen to advice? Why would we want to make our norm matching something that dies and something that isn't eternal and instead have the eternal God that doesn't die sitting at our table, showing us how to live? You see, if anything other than God is sitting at our table giving us advice, it will die. And that's why it's critically important for us to pay attention to what we pay attention to. And so how do we respond to this? Well, well, maybe for those of you here in Christ, you just need to make a shift in your life. Maybe you do need to start tithing when you get your paycheck instead of, instead of after when all the bills are paid. Maybe you need to, to, to stop seeking so many answers to things that you can't answer and instead learn how to ask good questions and be okay with, I don't know how this works, but I trust him. Maybe you need to get a job and work or work hard at the job that you have because every job isn't, every job is going to have places where it is unsuccessful, right? Every career turns into a job at some point. Maybe you need to commit yourself to doing the hard work to the glory of God. Maybe you need to stop seeking death and instead practice finding joy in every day. Maybe you need to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior so that when you do stand before judgment, that the judgment, the penalty, and the power of sin in your life has been paid for by Jesus. Because you see, that's the only way, I believe, that, 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 that we can know what happens when we die is when, is when we have said yes to Jesus' offer of salvation. And we can rest and trust in that because Jesus has assured us that when he is our place of trust with him as our savior, right? And we live our life his way and not our own. We can be rest assured that we are with him in heaven. I'm gonna leave you with these final words of Jesus. He said this, he said, my sheep know my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they never, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them, 
uh, to me is greater than all. And so maybe Jesus needs to be the voice at your table, particularly when your life feels out of control in any time. So maybe for some of you, it's time to invite Jesus into your life. And maybe for some of you, it's time to, to invite Jesus to the table and let his voice become the norm that you match. And so what I wanna do is we go into communion. And the way we do communion here is if you are a follower of Jesus, uh, we welcome you to take communion. You don't have to be a member of fellowship. I know uh, some churches operate that way. We don't. We just trust that if you have said yes to Jesus, this table is open to you. And if not, then just sit where you are. That's okay. You can still listen and apply God's truth to your life. And, and maybe today is the day you can say yes to Jesus. And the way we do this is we come up to the table and the elders will be up here serving you communion. And uh, the little white plate is gluten-free for people who are gluten-free. And then we've got crackers in the round bowls and then, and then grape juice in the, in the cups. And, 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 and what I'm going to do is I'm going to prompt us to think about our life, to think about where our life is out of control and to give us space to hear Jesus. And when you're ready, come up. And grab those elements and go back to your seat holding them. And then we will take them all uh, together. And I'll come back up and walk us through that. So, so let's bow our heads. And what I want you to do is I want you to, to, to consider if you haven't already, maybe God has already been stirring something up in you that is out of your control, right? And, and you need some time to, to just invite him to the table and invite the Holy Spirit to speak. And this communion table is a great opportunity to, to invite Jesus to the table and bring yourself up to his table to, to hear him speak about what to do in that area that feels out of control. And is it a place where you just need to trust him? Is it a place that has work for you to do? Is it a place that you can live generously? And so I'm going to give us a little bit of silence to think and pray on that. When Jesus gathered with his disciples, um, they were having a meal together, a meal that they celebrated yearly. And it was to symbolize the, the liberation of Egypt from slavery. I mean, the, the liberation of Israel from slavery to Egypt. And Jesus took that and he said, I'm going to give you an even better freedom. I'm going to give you something that's not looking back, but something that keeps looking forward. It looks back and looks forward. And he took the elements of that meal and he held them up and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he said, this is my blood shed for you. And then Paul in the New Testament said, we are to do this often in remembrance. Remembering what Jesus did so we can look forward to the day when we see him again. And so Jesus, we do that. We remember your sacrifice for us that you gave your life so that we could have an abundant life. And Father, we look ahead to the day where we will be face to face with you. And I pray that that, that that brings us joy and peace today. In Christ's name I pray, amen.